I want to welcome today's guest. He is a, to say he's prolific is an understatement. Uh, he's one of the greatest producers, one of the greatest kind of creative visionaries of our time. He's only got 242 Emmy nominations, 50 Emmy wins, 66 Golden Globe nominations, 11 Golden Globes, 47 Academy Award nominations, 10 Academy Awards. His films have grossed $15 billion. His partnership with uh, Ron Howard Imagine Entertainment is as given us such things as Friday Night Lights, A Beautiful Mind, Apollo 13, Parenthood, Splash, American Gangster, I can go on and on. Brian Grazer, thank you. For, and also best-selling author, um, Curious Mind, which is basically he spent the last 35 years talking to really interesting people because he's got a curious mind. I was actually one of those people. I was probably at the very bottom of the list. Brian Grazer, welcome to, no, welcome no, no, to the show. No, 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 you're the top of the list, Donnie. How are you, man? Great to see you. I'm great. Thanks, thanks, thanks. So I, I, I have to, where I'm in doing my research about you, the person I want to talk about that seems to be the main inspiration in your life is your four foot ten grandmother, Sonia. Sonia. Who gave, you, who gave you a lot of your stuff. Talk to me about Sonia. Okay, so 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 my parents were good parents. They, they, they were good parents, uh, Arlene and Tom. But um, I had a grandmother that immediately recognized that curiosity and asking questions was a virtue rather than a strength. So she instilled on me very young as a, you know, eight-year-old kid, nine-year-old kid, that asking questions is a good thing to do. You're not stupid, you know, if you ask questions. And so she recognized that that would become a superpower in my life. And it's been very, very helpful to me in my life of being able to um, have these curiosity conversations like the one I had with you where I'm able to get, gain insights into the person and their occupation. And you would learn so many things about the world that they're dominant in. So that was hugely valuable. So Grandma Sonia, every weekend, would come to my house, pick me up alone, and would take me on some new adventure. It was always to a new restaurant, a new type of food, a uh, demystifying a culture and in, in, in the city of Los Angeles is one of the most diverse cultures, you know, is one of the most diverse cities in the world. And I think there's 120 different languages that are spoke and dialects. And so we would always explore these things. She took me to the Hollywood racetrack when I was 11 years old, taught me how to gamble. <laughs> she took me how to play musical instruments. We'd see orchestras play endless amounts of things like that. And when it was meeting, going to a restaurant, she'd always say, I want him to meet the big, <laughs> I can't even say, I want him to meet the, the big, big boss. The big, the big, big macher. The big macher. <laughs> that's what grandma said. So that's who she was. That's amazing. I, you're also a study in somebody that's kind of, obviously to do what you do, you have to learn how to sell. And yeah. I love the story about how you spent seven years trying to sell Splash, and then you had kind of an aha moment. And it's a really interesting lesson for people to learn on how to kind of present something in a kind of bigger sphere, if you will. Yes. Yeah, so basically, um, what you're referring to is I wrote, um, I, I wrote a very bad draft of a script about a man falling in love with a mermaid. So that was the top line of what this movie was. It was... Uh, universally in Hollywood known and hated by this punk kid named Brian Grazer who was 20, 
oh shit, 24 years old at the time. Right. And it just seemed out, just too outrageous for anyone to want to in, have, you know, engage in and, and make as a, a, as a movie. But I would repeatedly over the seven years or six year period, go back to either the, the same uh, executive or to their replacement possibly <laughs> as musical chairs happen. And I would do this over and over and over again. And I would change the story of the movie a little bit or rebalance it. And then and I realized uh, the way I finally sold it, I, I think you were referring to Donnie, is, was less on the story, but more on the theme. I would say, how can you deny love? I said, you know, so I would find the theme, you know, in the case of this movie, it was a, a love story. And I'd say beneath the story itself of a man falling in love with a mermaid are two characters that are needy of human connection and love. And this was a man who was sort of modeled after me. Will I ever be able to fall in love? Will I ever be able to find a girl in Hollywood and have true love because I was experiencing uh, at the time because I was a I became a young producer at 25. The girls mostly wanted to date me because I was a young producer, and I thought, well, how will I get beneath the surface of that? And then I just wrote the definition of the perfect girl or the girl I would like to meet, then superimposed this you know magical character, this fantastical mythic character of a mermaid on top of that definition and that became the story and so when anyone in the in the year that i sold it would say oh it seems like an outrageous idea i don't like it i said it's less about that it's much more about love and it which was an irrefutable thing to root against quite frankly and that's how i sold it based on the bigger and universal idea that was living inside of the story and how did you and Ron Howard get to a kind of a, a bad sitcom actor who became one of the biggest stars of our time, Mr. Tom Hanks? Where where did that come from? Because no one would do that movie. Go, let's get the guy from Bosom Buddies, you know? <laughs> no one was saying that. Uh, it was more that we, there were some, many stars we approached didn't want to do it. And then there were stars that did want to do it. But I, I think we, as much as we were seduced by the talent of some of these big stars, we didn't think they were the person we imagined. We didn't feel like the, so, so, so eventually we had this kid come in who was, as you said, he was on bosom buddies and that was an obscure TV show. It was a show that was kind of liked by the underground, but, and he was just embodied all the traits that we, that mattered to us. He, was funny, but not so funny that you couldn't relate to him. Because there are some actors, <clears throat> yeah. you know, you know that are just. I mean, Jack Nicholson is a great actor, one of the greatest actors of all time. But it's hard for you to inhabit him. He, he's not an everyman. He's not you. He's yeah. not an everyman. And Tom Hanks was an everyman, but he was funny enough. He could kiss the girl. You could love him. And of course, he went on to be Jimmy, like a Jimmy Stewart, like a Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart, Stewart or yeah, even yeah. Jack Lemmon kind of guy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's what he. And was. I, I love that John Candy was the personification of your grandmother in that movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 
So Tom see, Hanks, I did my I did my homework here. You see, you did. You've, done, <laughs> you've always done your homework. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, I took all my grandma's Jewish isms, like think big, be big. She had all this kind of stuff, and I took all the language of Grandma Sonia and put it into a guy, the funny, the funny at the time fat guy John Candy, who was very gifted. So when you had that guy, the counterpoint of Grandma Sonia say those words it was really funny so talk to me about i want to understand you have one of the great partnerships of all time with ron yes. howard you you yep. met him on you you your curiosity led you to him and go hey there's the guy from happy days let me talk to him what makes it work between you two guys um we qu qualitatively agree on our t our taste so yeah. we basically think whatever is you know if i think a movie is a premium content film or i think a movie is of, of high taste, he will think it's the same. And so we do intersect on it. So um, just our basic uh, qualitative taste. We trust each other um, to, so we root for each other all of the time. I, I root for his success. He roots for my success. That's, that's really, I always, that's really important. And I always used to say that about even people working for you, you have to be champion of their success and care about their success as much as your own. And then they'll walk through fire for you. Yeah, and, and they will, and I will for him. And I, you know, I love him. I, love, I mean, I I root for his success and I root for his happiness and uh, I love him and I believe that he loves me. <laughs> I, lo I love, you know, it's just something about your films. Is, is when I think about two of them specifically, Parenthood and Apollo 13, they're the kind of films that I probably have seen each one of those movies 74 times. Whenever it's on... Like, it doesn't matter. I'm going through the channels, and then, oh, there's Parenthood. I'm going to watch it. And I could read. And same thing with Apollo 13. Yes. There's something about those two movies. And, and obviously, you, 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 for A Beautiful Mind, you won the Oscar, and you've done so many other. But those two movies, and American Gangster also, like, whenever yeah. they're on, I just stop. There's something about them. Um, I, think you, I think you're able. They're really good characters. They're interesting, yeah. hooky characters. And, but they um, have a lot of dimension. So if they do... If a character in any of those movies does something bad, you forgive them because you do understand their heart and their motivation mm -hmm. or their desperation. You know, in the case of uh, American Gangster, of course, Denzel Washington plays Frank Lucas, who's a gangster. But because you really have seen how he's been abused and 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 uh, been deprived of a formal education and you know, he's such a super underdog. Um, you will understand why he went on to become a heroin dealer. Um, you understand that really he just wanted human respect. So it again operates on a universal dynamic. We as people on the planet really want and need respect, respect from one for one another. And it's sort of true of Apollo 13. They're different men they're astronauts they're trained in science and in and physically but they're very very diverse people um and you are get unified in their you're unified as an audience in their mission and their success in the mission and that was of course personified through the character of tom hanks there's really nobody you one would root for more in the world to yeah. survive than tom hanks yeah and parenthood i i, I that movie yeah. is hits such a nerve uh, in, I don't know if it's because 
it came of an age where boomers were starting to become parents yeah. and it, it, and we were all kind of just suffering, not suffering through, but living through the evolution of all of a sudden it not being about us and all of the up and downside of being a parent. I think it's that. And I think it celebrates that and it celebrates the miracle of birth. And, uh, and we show that childbirth and we show how desperate we are as as a species to want to take care of your family and uh, how important family is so it it celebrates these qualities that are again things that we all need you know the afghanis the pakistanis the you know the middle east the jewish we all we we all celebrate family we want to protect family and we want family to proliferate be successful and live and uh, you know that's the and a lot of that is lives inside the human spirit the human and American spirit but it's universal it's every country in the world is is is, is uh, it's a virtue of life You, you had, um, I don't want to say two career tracks because they intersect. There's the author, the, the the curious mind who's been talking to people 35 years. And then yeah. you come across the Jim Lovell and it turns into Apollo 13. Yeah. You come across, you had your son has had some challenges and you meet certain professionals and it leads to a beautiful mind. Yes. Well, I think what happens is by by pushing myself to get outside of my comfort zone, and to meet people that are expert in things that I'm not expert in, I had to learn the language of science, you know, or physics or math or uh, fashion, you know, all these different languages in order to communicate with somebody, to communicate with you. So I was a good date. So you didn't just get up and walk away. I had to learn a little bit about your background, what mm -hmm. makes you tick. And why, why you were a super achiever in the world that you uh, worked in, you know, of, of course, um, you know, advertising, marketing, branding, all mm -hmm. the things that you were, that you pioneered. I mean, I had to be appreciative of that and understand it to hold your interest. And so what I'm able to do by doing that is open my horizon to subjects that I wouldn't have known about. And so in the case of a Apollo 13. I didn't really think about astronauts. I mean, I understood that we were, there was a space race, you know, and, but I didn't really understand it. I never broke it down like what it takes to be an astronaut, that you're ultimately, if you get through this obstacle course of being one, you're sitting on an, you're sitting on an engine. You're, you're unprotected for the most part, sitting on a motor, an engine that's going to blast off a fiery blast up into outer space. And it's the uncertainty of all of that. I didn't break it down and appreciate it um, psychologically, emotionally, and physically. And so it, 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 it by doing that, it, um, it demystifies the human spirit and it demystifies, um, you know, the culture, different cultures. Making a movie in France demystified France to me in some ways. Mm -hmm. making, making the Da Vinci Code demystified religion in certain ways. So it makes you much more accepting of other people and uh, it, it breaks you away from uh, the, the eccentricity, the, 
the ethnocentricity of of the way we grow up here in America or anyone does in their own country. So it's you you think of why have war when you're ultimately going to end in peace. You know, we just start with peace and don't do the war, <laughs> you know. So a self-reflection question. You obviously, curiosity has been probably your big theme through, a the theme through your life, and we've yeah, talked yeah. about that. Yes. You are you and I are similar age. We're, we're on the, I'm going to say gen, generously, we're on the back nine, okay? Uh, we're going to leave it at that. Are <laughs> you more still, or less? We are still energetic. I'm looking well, at I guess, you're on fire, man. I'm, I'm trying, but are you more or less curious now? Because I can argue for both sides, which uh -huh. would, as a younger Brian Grazer, well, everything is in front of you and you don't know and now you know more, but then you probably know that you don't know anything because you know more. So there's this kind of weird side balance to it. You yes, know? there is this weird side balance. Well, what it does, no, I'm, I'm, I'm equally curious. Um, it's harder to get out of my comfort zone to do it. Yes, 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 it's, yes. You know, I, I, uh, you know, I because I saw the movie Oppenheimer, and I knew Edward Teller, who, who did the split with. Oppenheimer, of course, and he formed mm -hmm. um, uh, Lawrence Livermore Labs. Mm -hmm. I didn't know much about Lawrence Livermore Labs, so I see the movie and I think, I should go to the Liv Livermore Labs. So I didn't, even though I, you know, I fly in a pretty comfortable way, I didn't really feel like driving, flying to Northern California and walking around this square mile of intellectual campus of science and uh, cyber technology and uh, uh, you know all, all these stuff but I did it and I was really glad I did it I was what got me hooked is I went to um, there was a woman that is the first female director of the Livermore Labs which is pretty vast and she's she is heading the team that is working on the fusion energy project through lasers, 192 lasers attack at the exact certain time in science. This one little box inside is the stacking of tiny little diamonds and it produces the most amount of energy we can produce in the world, the energy of the sun in a small. And I thought, well, I want to see what that looks like. So I, I, I ended up going, I ended up going hey, to yeah, stay there and I was so glad I did. There you go. So you got a new project with Eddie Murphy. Uh, yes. Talk to me about Eddie and talk to me about it, about the project. Okay. All right. So I've, I've made, since the movie Boomerang, which Eddie and I did. Love that. Love Another one of those movies. Comes no. on. You just, every fucking time. Just just to watch Grace Jones and Eartha Kitt alone. I mean, you know, just, you know. Wow, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I yeah, love that. that love, love. And a young Robin Quivers and a young Halle Berry. I mean, an yeah. unknown Halle Berry, basically. unknown Halle Berry. Wow, you definitely are, know this cold. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Martin Lawrence was in it. Eddie was in yeah. it. Chris Rock had a small role. Uh, I mean, Chris it, Rock it, was it, the mail was the mailroom guy. That's right. I forgot it that. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I love that movie. Yeah. Thank you. So we started. That was the first movie we did. Now we made six movies together. We did the Nutty Professor films. We did a movie called Life. We did Bowfinger with Steve Martin, which I really had a great time doing. And that they were both sensational. So a, a script that Steve wrote. And then this one is called Candy Cane Lane. It's Eddie just had this desire to do a, uh, a, a seasonal film, a Christmas movie specifically. And so it's called Candy Cane Lane. It's out right now. If you go on to Amazon plus Amazon, right. And, and it's lots of fun and it's 
it's funny and fun physically and it uh, speaks to your heart you know and it reaches you speaking of amazon do you as a producer and we yes. all know we don't have, we don't have to go through the new media landscape okay. we know it very very well yeah do you get more excited to do a theatrical release at this point or at this point i'm making content and making telling great stories and however they get seen they get seen i like doing theatrical of course yeah, i knew you i knew you were gonna say that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i like the bigger than life experience the communal experience of seeing a movie um, with 50 people or 1,050 people. I think it's, it really um, connects to you emotionally. And when it's successful, I mean, reaches you, speaks to you successfully, it uh, changes the world. So I, I do like that. You can still do that um, on, you know, on a streaming platform. Sure. But preferably, look, wouldn't everybody like both? So you yeah, come out sure. theatrically and then you go to the platform. Yeah. So let me ask you also before we go, give me the one that got away, the project that it turned into a monster project that you either bid on or were going to bid on or were missed that you just get fuck. How did, how did I not do that? Well, I always thought that about back to the future. I thought, how come I, I was like the, one of the biggest, you know, comedy producers of that generation. And I thought, Oh my God, this movie just blows my mind. I mean, it took comedy and fantasy together. Yeah, Michael's become a dear friend of mine. I'm on his board. He's one of my closest friends now. Oh, yeah. Michael J. Fox? Yeah, yeah. He's a amazing. Oh, yeah. So were you involved in were you involved in pitching for that or or bidding on that no, material? No, I think it went right to Steven Spielberg. I think it went Bob Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg were friends and they ended up, yeah. the two directors ended up getting together on it. I mean, it's really become, it's interesting because my friends that have younger kids, so I, it's become kind of this generation's Wizard of Oz. I mean, young kids don't watch Wizard of Oz anymore, but all I, all my friends who have very young kids, they all still watch Back to the Future. It's interesting. How smart. That's really interesting. I didn't realize that. See, I learned yeah. something on the Donnie Deutsch. There you go. Brian Grazer, what a pleasure to talk to you. I've been a big fan for years. You've brought us so much entertainment, so much pleasure to the world. Thank you, sir. You're so welcome, and I hope some of your viewers go out and get my new book called A Curious Mind. Oh, I can't promote it. I shouldn't. All right. Promo of course, of course you promote it. Do a little promotion here, please. Okay, so I wrote two books, A Curious Mind and Face to Face, about human connection itself. The two of them have now merged into a single book called A Curious Mind, The Secret to a Bigger Life in expanded book form. And that is out. Uh, Simon & Schuster put it on hardback. You can probably find it in all different forms. And you can order the book. Uh, curious mind and you'll find that it's even more relevant today as Alec Baldwin said in Glengarry Rose always be closing and always be selling and that's what we do my friend Brian Grazer thank you so much thank you Bye, and next time you're in New York let me know we'll grab some lunch or breakfast or something like that I okay? would love it that'd be awesome thanks Donnie. thank you buddy stay well